0: Well, if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, Uh, we're going to continue there as we've been going through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, verse 17, is where we'll be this morning. It's good to be together today in God's house, and uh, I was thinking about people that join us in our live stream, and one of our elders and his wife uh, are really sort of very careful because of her uh, medical situation. and. I think about them, too, you know, that they're joining us and worshiping in the way that they can, and uh, Ken and Kathy and people like that in our congregation. I think that would love to be with us in person, but it's not possible. But I think about them as well as part of our congregation, grateful for you and for others that are joining us to think about God's purpose in our life and to uh, worship. So there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, The Bible says, "...but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk, and so i ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone uh, called while uncircumcised? Let him not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters." Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather, use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God In that calling in which he was called. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the scripture. Thank you for the uh, inspiration of it by your spirit of truth. And we pray that that same spirit might speak now because of your word and through your word to us. And open our understanding, we ask God, and use these moments that we have together to help us think about this uh, calling and this staying and standing And we pray that you'll help us now, in Jesus' name, amen. I've kind of confessed before that I have a book problem. You know, I like to read a lot, and so Amazon shows up at my house fairly often to uh, deliver books. And, you know, one thing I notice about uh, fictional characters is that you sometimes see a, well, really often a consistent theme is that uh, there are people in the fictional characters who or, you know, could be happy in their circumstances, but they think, if I could only get to the right place, you know, if I could only go to uh, uh, the right place, or uh, they're always wishing to be somewhere instead of where they are, or they want out of their circumstances. I think about, like, uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, that um, if you are familiar, there's a character named uh, Frodo, who inherits this ring of power from his uh, uncle Bilbo. And he he finds out that it's going to put him on a quest and on a a journey that is going to be fraught with challenge and difficulty. And there's a line that he says to Gandalf. He says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf replies, so do all who live to see such times, but that... It's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given to us. I think that's such a powerful idea, you know, that life often is going to put us in situations that we wish we could get out of. And I think, you know, we want to escape at times. We want to be somewhere other than where we are experiencing what we're experiencing because life took an unexpected turn and got really hard on us all of a sudden. But that idea, I think, is what's in this uh, passage of Scripture, that what we really can experience is God's best, uh, no matter what our circumstances are, as we learn to live out our discipleship right there in that moment. We see sometimes that there really are no ideal circumstances. That's what I find now at 58 years old, is that there are, are no ideal circumstances. I mean, you may get a, uh, a role once in a while where you don't feel out of joint, overwhelmed. You don't feel uh, emotional pressure at an unbelievable pace. But, you know, what I find often is that there's not an ideal set of circumstances in life. And so the Bible teaches us that commitment is, a, uh, is learned. It's a learned behavior it's not something that's dependent on outward circumstances. You remember the Apostle Paul says, I have what? Learned in whatever circumstances I, I'm in, therein to be content. He says, I've learned how to flourish and I've learned how to suffer. You know, I've learned how to be abased is the way he puts it. But he says, I have learned in whatever circumstances I'm in, therein to be content. And so, life is going to be challenging at times. Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, and he was a prisoner in a Nazi concentration camp. That was his life experience. And out of it, he ends up writing a book called Man's Search for Meaning, and really the if you synthesize what he his experience was, he says, Life never ceases to have meaning even in suffering and death. Well, here's a person that saw all that up close and lived lived through it in a, you know, a German concentration camp. And he says, Life never ceases to have meaning even in suffering and death. So in the times we think what possible good can come out of where I am right now? You know, the scripture shows us that, no, we can flourish right there. However, it you know, it feels on the surface or looks to us in those moments. So the, <coughs> the scripture that we're going to read today or uh, that we have read in our study and <coughs> shows us that God has a purpose for us in the difficult seasons of our life. I don't know, you know, where you are. That's how things feel for me currently. So I told my wife as I was preparing, I said, you know, I'm really preaching to myself this week. And that happens sometimes. But what, what do we do when we feel like running away from our problems? And I think that's a situation a lot of us will be in at times. How do I escape this? And, and what God is saying in the text is, no, rather than trying to run, run away from it, I, what I want is for you to experience me in it, right in the middle of it. So how do we do that? What do we need to have peace in less than ideal situations? Well, as we look at the passage, I think one of the answers to that question is that we remember who called us. <clears throat> remember who called you. As the scripture here shows us that when I, you know, when I read these passages week after week, I look for consistent themes. Look at how often the word called Appears in this passage over and over and over again. It says God called, invited, and summoned you. And so we remember that. We can persevere in challenging circumstances by remembering that it's God who calls us and orders our lives. I don't think, you know, when I was thinking about this in preparation, that's not uh, fatalism you know fatalism says that everything is already determined and we're sort of automatons and you know that's not what I think the idea is but I do think that God has an intent and a purpose in calling us to to himself and that he does order life life, and we experience life as something that comes to us from from God we have free will but we God has an overarching purpose in life that we're trying to understand and walk out. So I look at people in the Bible, and one thing that I notice about them is that they often wanted to run away from their circumstances. Think about Elijah. You remember Elijah, who fresh off a victory over the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel has a manic depressive episode and runs and hides in a cave. You remember that? He he he! He not only wanted to escape; he did escape. He, and and the Bible says that while he was there, that the Lord fed him with ravens. They came to a brook called Cherith, and while he was there, even though God was like, "What are you doing? Hide in in this cave?" He sent provision to him there through ravens, and he put him, you know, a, a cared for him in the middle of that, a cared enough to speak into his. Uh, situation and to remind him of who he was who he belonged to but he ran that's what he wanted to do you know I look at uh, Jonah Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh had an assignment that he didn't want to accept what did he do he tried to run didn't he Bible says he tried to flee from the presence of the Lord in fact what he did is get on a boat and he was going to a place called Tarshish which was like going to Spain. That's It was as far in his imagination as he could conceive the civilized world. So he's like, I'm getting away from the presence of the Lord. Could he get away from the presence of the Lord? Yeah, certainly not. Because <laughs> the Bible says, if I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. There's nowhere we can go from the presence of the Lord, but when I read the experience of Bible people, what I see is that sometimes that's exactly what they want to do. They want to run. They want to get out of their circumstances. Think about Peter. You remember Peter and uh, what happened in his discipleship journey is that he, when Jesus is arrested and, and he's been boasting about even if all of these other disciples turn their back on you, What does he say? Not me, I never will. And all he does is deny Jesus with profanity three times before the rooster crows, just in the way that Jesus said he would. And you remember what Peter did after that, if you read in the Gospel of John, he says to the other disciples, the King James says, I go (laughs) a-fishing. Here's what he was really saying in that, is I am leaving this discipleship business behind, this disciple business. It's nothing but, you know, it's nothing but persecution. It's, it's nothing but, you know, hurt. Bye, I'm going back to the comfortable thing that I knew before. I'm going back to fishing. I go a-fishing. And Jesus shows up on the shore, you remember, and asks him, uh, Peter, do you love me? And gently, uh, you know, restores him, tells him, hey, I've got a purpose for you. I want you to feed my sheep. But the impulse in, in Peter was to run away. And you see this same behavior over and over again in the Bible under pressure. The best and the brightest people want to escape their circumstances, and they want out. Jacob ran to his uncle Laban. Didn't turn out very well, <laughs> you know, for a while. He just, 13 years of his life felt like a treadmill. But he he wanted out of his circumstances. And, you know, one encouragement that I think about that is that if in your life you are experiencing what feels like intense opposition that's probably a good thing because anything worthwhile for God's kingdom that we commit to do is going to be opposed so if if at times we feel like we're in this pit and we're discouraged and even though we're trying to do the right thing it seems like all the wrong things are happening to us you know maybe what we should do is look at the encouragement in that that almost any time we commit to obey God, we should expect that Satan's not going to be happy with that. And there are going to be, you know, experiences that we have that are are going to remind us of that. I think about a person who, you know, maybe did well in difficulty was Nehemiah. You remember the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, how that He was uh, serving a king, Artaxerxes, and it's after the Jerusalem has been destroyed. And while he's there serving the king, he hears about the deplorable condition of Jerusalem and he gets a burden. His burden is, I want to be part of rebuilding this. I want to be part of the renewal of Jerusalem because the fact that Jerusalem is in this condition is not a... Uh, the right testimony or the way that people ought to see God. They see God through this city. This is, It's called the city of the great king. The citadel of David. And it's demolished. And he gets a burden to go back and be part of this rebuilding. And when he, he goes back there, the, there's these goons. <laughs> Sanballat, Sandba- uh, Tobiah, uh, Ge- uh, Geshem, I think is the third guy in that story but these three people are constantly a thorn in Nehemiah's side does he quit does he escape does he run away no I love what he says in scripture even though he was harassed and threatened and insulted he says I'm engaged this is what he said I'm engaged in a great work so I won't come down. Why should I start, stop working and come and meet with you? Because they had said, hey, come meet with us. And, the, and the, uh, in the plot, when you read it, they wanted, to, they wanted to frighten him so that he would quit on what he was doing. And he says, no, nope, I'm not coming down from the wall. I've got too much work to do. And I think he models for us really what our mindset should be when we're going through challenging times is to remain and and to stick it out and and to keep obeying the Lord. God has a purpose for us, a calling. He's calling us into something that's bigger than us. And I don't just mean in you know our church's life, although I do mean that. But in your life, God is calling you to something bigger than you. I always love Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, uh, we, we know verses 8 and 9 uh, that say, For by grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God and not of works so that no one could boast. But it goes on and it says, You are his workmanship. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. I love that verse. That God created you and God formed you. And God has a purpose for your life. That he, you know, is working on all the time and working out through your life and your relationships. And it's hard to remember that sometimes when we feel like we're hitting a wall with people and things are a struggle. But the Bible says, no, what I want... I don't want you running away. I want you to remain. I want you to dwell, to live in this situation and live for me in it. And so sometimes we want to get out of our circumstances, but God wants to get into our circumstances. That's his his goal. He wants in. So we remember that we've been called by God. And even though when you read the Bible, You could see, we could go over and over again, people whose impulse was like, I want out. I want to find some place that I can just get away and live an untroubled life. God says, no, I I just want to live in the middle of your trouble. I want to be the the person that people experience through you. But also, when I read this passage, I think about blooming where I'm planted. We remember what the gospel really means. Secondly, how do I flourish by remembering the gospel? I think that's a challenge for people. We routinely forget our identity. Who am I? Even if, like my behavior in my circumstances, isn't the most accurate reflection of who Christ is, there are times that's a good reminder. To me of what the gospel says. Because the gospel says I need God. The gospel says I'm not enough. The gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ says. That God came because of my brokenness. God came because I needed healing. That Jesus came because of our inadequacy. And it's easy for me in uh, difficulty to forget. And to get my eyes off of who Jesus is. And to, uh, you know, get into myself a little bit. But the scripture reminds us of God's great love for us. That's what the gospel says. And when we read the uh, text here, it gets into some things that are a little alien to us. About circumcision, uncircumcision. And, you know, the idea here is like the Bible and Christianity came out of Jewishness. God started with a nation right the people of Israel and God took a people who were not a people and he made them a people he took nobodies and he made a nation out of Abraham he says to Abraham through you I'm going to bless all the nations of of the earth and so from Abraham he forms a country a nation Israel and he he makes them a praise to his name and that he, he promises he's going to bless the whole world through them, which was about the good news, the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. And so the, this idea of people getting stuck in some concept about circumcision or uncircumcision, really what Paul is saying is that's not your identity. It is true that this uh, gospel comes out of Jewishness, but he says over and over again in the new testament now there's no longer jew or gentile or barbarian he's like christ christ now is the is the central idea the good news and so some of the people at corinth may have felt inferior because they didn't come out of a jewish background they were gentiles but the Jew in that situation may have felt superior because he has this rich heritage and, and background. But Paul says, really, none of that is anything. Not now. It was important because it formed in us an understanding of who God was all through history. But it culminates, it comes to its com- conclusion in Jesus. He's God's final word. He, he is our hope in our salvation and so paul is clear it's interesting that he uh, on the one hand tells us the the commandments keeping the commandments of god is what what matters circumcision was a commandment of god to old testament believers but when christ comes he says it no longer i uh authenticates your religious status now that's not where your religious status is there's only one thing that authenticates your religious status, and that is surrender to Jesus. That's it. I mean, we we follow him in baptism because baptism is a reflection of the gospel and what the gospel means. But he says the authenticating reality is now Jesus, not some mark in yourself that you could mar or you know i mean like i say this language is kind of hard for us but he, what he really is saying is obey the good news obey the gospel the gospel says that christ died for us because of our our sin and was buried and rose from the grave on the third day for our justification so he, he writes to them and he's saying i think remember the gospel He says it's not those outward things that authenticate you, it is a new heart. A new heart that God alone can give. He he recreates this conversation in Galatians chapter 6 verse 15. And that's basically what he says. He says what matters is a new heart. So I hope you're not depending on anything other than a new heart. I hope you're not depending on baptism because baptism isn't a new heart. Is a, is a symbol and a figure. It reflects the fact that you've followed Jesus and are t- obeying him. But a new heart is, is different than baptism. Baptism is an uh, act of obedience. I hope that you're not dependent on church attendance instead of a new heart. Because church attendance matters, but it's not a new heart. Only God in our surrender gives us a, 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 new, a new heart, a new inner person. And I hope you're not dependent on respectability, because respectability is not a new heart. People could think the best of you, but what matters is, is a new heart. That's what he says in Galatians 6:15. That's what matters, a new heart. And I hope you're not dependent on a legacy. Like my family are all Christians. No? What you need is a new heart. You must be what? Born again. You must be born again. So when we think of whose we are, we belong to Christ. If we, if we really have a new heart. So when we're in, unsure of our place and we feel the weight of external factors that cause us to wrestle with whether we fit. Sometimes that's how people feel. I don't know that I fit here. And we want to give in to the temptation to run away, we have to remind ourselves of who we belong to. That God loved us so much that he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. And the Bible says, how shall he not also through him freely give us all things? That's my identity. On my best days, at my best moments, that's what I remember. That God loved me that way. That God loved me with such an incredible love that he didn't spare his own son. And so he invites you. That's what this word, call, I was thinking about everything that the word calling means. He invites you. He summons you to himself. He calls you to him, himself. He secured you because the Bible here says you were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. He secured you. He holds you. Nobody can snatch you out of his hand, the Bible says. That's an important thing to remember. Nobody can take you away from Jesus. He holds you. He secures you. Uh, my father, he says, is greater than all. And nobody can snatch you up away from me. He, I, I love this expression. There's three times in the Old Testament he calls us the apple of his eye. He says, you're the apple of my eye. That's who you are. So when you know, we think about our circumstances, we think about... What he says about us and who we are, we belong to him. And so we have to get our eyes back on Jesus. And that's hard to do sometimes when life is pressing in and things are difficult. I have to remind myself to look unto Jesus. But the scripture also says, uh, teaches us that we remember that there will never be thirdly an ideal context for following Jesus. There never will be. We follow him in all, you know, sort of situations. It is a pipe dream to think, you know, one day everything is going to be perfect and then I'll follow Jesus. No, we'll, we follow him even though life is never going to be ideal. A friend of mine posted this this week. No sorrow is too great to endure if it reveals to us some new beauty in Christ or brings out in us some new feature of Christ's likeness. So there is no set of circumstances in life that can keep a person from following Jesus. It's such an interesting uh, reality that they were living in, and we, you know, sometimes we think about what are, what are the best circumstances to follow Jesus. Is it here in the West where we, you know, have religious freedom, we have religious liberty, we have all these conveniences? Sometimes I think when I, I think about here versus persecuted, you know, countries that maybe they should be praying for us. We pray for persecuted Christians, but maybe they should be praying for us because we've got all this comfort and all the convenience that we have and sometimes what it turns into in our practice is laziness and apathy and, you know, we can take faith or leave faith, but their faith is refined. Their faith is intense because they live in the persecution that they live in. I think sometimes maybe they should be praying for us. Most basic fundamental expression of a faithful worshiping life is meaningful connection to other Christians so that you can pray with them, so that you can sing with them as we've done this morning, so that you can observe the Lord's Supper, communion with them. So that you can hear the word of God taught and preached, that is the most basic expression of what Christianity means. It's the tip of the iceberg, but you know, if we don't have a, a commitment to that, we're missing the most basic element of what church is. What it means? It means coming together, and and sometimes I think. What we experience in the West, because it's so easy for us, is is, uh, probably not the same kind of discipleship as you see in places where persecution occurs. Some people were trying to live out their calling in the first century as slaves. The Bible says here that Paul wrote to, uh, you know, we know it was Roman Empire that ruled the world at that time and Historians say maybe 30% of Rome were, people were slaves, about 30% of their society. So the Bible speaks to uh, the issue of slavery, but it doesn't condone it. You know, sometimes people have wrong ideas about what the Bible says about slavery. It doesn't condone it, it's just uh, talking about something that's uh, relevant to their context. Contextually, 30% of his audience were slaves, and sometimes they could uh, buy their way out of slavery and become freed men, which is what he talks about here. But for some of these people, they were, they were slaves. And he says, hey, if you can find a way to be free, use it. But if you're a slave for your whole life, you are still free to worship God in your circumstances. Alien to us. You know, we don't relate to this idea. But for them, many of them were slaves. He says, if you can change your circumstances, great. But if not, you can still live for Jesus, live a God-honoring life as a slave. So a person who's called while lacking liberty is still made free in Christ. A person who is free is still Christ's servant, he says. That's ironic. You could be born a slave, but in your heart, be more free than some person out here that has all their citizenship rights and and he says that person if they come to faith in Christ are Christ's servant so it doesn't matter slave or free you're still Christ's servant yeah I think about that a person could be incarcerated and be more free than people that are out walking the streets according to what the Bible says freedom really means. a person. In fact, there are people who are, are incarcerated, who know Jesus and have freedom, whereas people who wake up free every day do not have freedom. And that's really essentially, I think, what he's saying here. Remember, there's never going to be an ideal set of circumstances for you to follow Jesus. You just follow Jesus where you are and live for him. And we remember also, fourthly, the price of our calling because it talks about that again in 1 in, uh, Corinthians. And he's reminded them again about what it, it costs for them to be purchased. The, the blood of Jesus. So he says, don't be slaves to men. And I think about what he means by that. I've shared before when I became a follower of Jesus, I was 24 years old. I worked in a metal fab shop. I went to work on a Friday. One person, I came back on a Monday, a different person. I had received Christ between the time I left work on Friday and the time I came back on on Monday. And the only Christians that worked with me were joyless legalists. Joyless legalists who would, would tell me stuff like, you can't listen to contemporary music. Contemporary Christian music, because it's of the devil. <laughs> Stuff like that. So I here I am, you know, uh, baby in Christ, trying to, you know, go from listening to Black Sabbath to George Beverly Shea or something, I guess. I don't know. That was my life. I'm like, well, I don't know how to be this person that I'm trying to be now. And along the way, I discovered writers like Philip Yancey. And writers like Brennan Manning, who wrote uh, The Ragamuffin Gospel. And I discovered writers who just introduced me to grace, the idea of grace, the unfettered freedom that comes to us through Jesus. That, you know, I know that the people are just trying to figure the life out, and so they make up a lot of rules that may be helpful and they may not be. But the Christian life isn't about being enslaved to other rules. No, Jesus set us free to experience life in him. And we've already seen that doesn't mean that we're, you know, we become li- libertine, that we become immoral. What we build up again all the offenses that were torn down by the cross, that's not what it means. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we become enslaved to rigid ideas that hold us Uh, captive and take away our freedom and take away our joy and that's what the experience of faith was for me at first and and uh so i was grateful to understand grace i like there's a really good book by what's the writer's name it's called the grace truth paradox randy alcorn if you like reading grace truth paradox randy alcorn does a very good job of helping you think through, okay, what does, how does grace look in my life? How do I flesh this out? And, and, uh, so that was helpful for me. Remember the price of our call, and Jesus paid this, paid this great price, but what he says here is, don't be slaves. You've been set free, don't be slaves. Don't be slaves to ideologies that will take away your freedom. Because Jesus has made you free. And I think what that looks like for me is rest. R-E-S-T, rest. You know how Jesus uh, says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm a gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find what? Rest for your soul. You'll find rest for your soul. You know, when I think about my circumstances, that's what I want. I want to find some place of rest. Where my striving is over. My striving is done. And if I don't understand what the gospel says and means, I'll strive and strive and never rest. And never accept that God already did for me everything that's necessary for me to have peace in myself. I can have peace. Because of the good news. I I read a book recently where a guy describe righteousness as enoughness enoughness it's probably a made-up word enoughness but righteousness is what we need enoughness and you're not going to find it anywhere else except for in the finished work of Jesus Christ that's where it is and so we remember he paid this incredible price but not so that we could find some whole new way to be enslaved again And then lastly, we remember the presence of Christ. I like that the last part of this passage that uh, that phrase appears. Look at verse 24. Brethren, let each one remain with God. With God in that calling in which he was called. The presence of God. There's a powerful illustration of this in the life of Moses where Moses, in conversation with God, in Exodus chapter 33, God tells Moses, I will give Israel the land I promised, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. That's what God says to Moses. You are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. So I'll give you the land that I promised you, but I am not going with you. Because you may not make it to the land if I go with you. And Moses intercedes, and I think when you read it, what you have to assume is that God is teasing faith out of Moses. Because God's not uneven. But Moses prays and argues and appeals, and God tells him, this is what God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Moses says, I'd rather live in a parched, arid desert with God than in a land flowing with milk and honey and no God. If you don't go with us, he says, I don't want to go either. I'd rather, rather stay here in the desert of Sinai. So, that's what we need: is the presence of Christ with us. A Writer named Anne Lamott said, "Hope begins in the dark. The stubborn hope that if you just show up and try to do the right thing, the dawn will come. You wait and watch and work. You don't give up. When we we bloom where we're planted, we accept that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord." He didn't ask you to work everything out of your own will and power and self effort. In fact, he asks and commands us to do just the opposite. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say, uh, Trust how? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So he doesn't ask you to uh, figure it all out and. Live out of your self-will and do all those things. He says, trust in me with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. That doesn't mean don't exercise your thinking capacity. It just says as we're doing that, we trust that God is working in our circumstances to direct our lives. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. He'll make sure we're, we're where we're supposed to be as we surrender to him. We can bloom when we uh, where we're planned and when we recognize that what we're doing is a calling. Do you think of your life that way? That what you're doing is a calling? That as your parent, it's calling? As you You know, if you're a student, it's a calling. God put you where you are for a reason, with a purpose, so that you... What does he say? Let your light so shine before men that uh, people will glorify your Father in heaven. That they'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He puts us where we are to shine. To be light. It's a calling. Whatever you do, you may not think of it that way. That's the shift that needs to happen for us. Is to begin to think of our life and our place as calling. And we're never going to do it perfectly. But it needs to be, there needs to be that kind of mindfulness that, hey, God put me here. God wants me to bloom right here. He's put me here. He wants me to flourish. And he wants people to experience him through my life as a witness where I am right now. So it's a, it, your life has a calling. You've been summoned, invited to Jesus, but then it's experienced as a calling. You know, it's not just people that go off to seminary like me that God's called. Think of how few, I don't know how many people are in ministry, but it's a small portion of the world at large, right? Almost 8 billion people in the world. I don't know how many of them have been to a seminary, but I know that that's not all the people God has called. Not even close. He calls all of us to, to be used In gospel ministry. We can bloom where we're planted when we're doing it as a calling. Don't be enslaved to other people's opinions. They aren't God. Through prayer and good counsel and especially scripture. Follow God and trust in the Lord. And wait on the Lord. You know sometimes that is the difficult thing. Is waiting. Being patient in our situation. Uh, because, you know, the analogy the Bible uses a lot is that, like, the things that we do. Uh, Galatians uh, chapter 6, I think it is. It says, um, don't go grow weary in well-doing at just the right time you'll reap if you don't lose heart. Don't grow, grow weary in well-doing at just the right time you'll reap reap if you don't lose heart. So the idea is, like, you planted something. And you don't go dig it up and see how it's doing. You got to give it time. You let it, you know, cultivate. And so patience, you know, sometimes that's what when they don't grow weary and well doing. Keep doing what you should be doing. Keep doing the right thing. Keep worshiping and witnessing and giving of your life. And the Bible says that just the right time will reap. If we don't, the old King James says faint. Quit. Lose heart. Check out. Don't obsess over things you can't control. I know none of you do that, right? Only me. Don't obsess over things you can't control. Trust in the Lord. Rest in Him. Follow Him. The Bible says that we'll be able to bloom. Even if everything in our life doesn't make sense, isn't perfect well welcome to the human race for the rest of your life and just be faithful and keep surrendering to him where you are let's have a word of prayer and we'll have a time of commitment we'll sing a song as we conclude if you would uh, like prayer I would be happy to pray with you this morning Alvin is one of our elders brother Barney is one of our elders all of us would be happy to pray with you there's a commitment that you need to make, perhaps, to surrender your life, to follow Jesus as your Savior. He's already paid the price for her. All we have to do is respond and surrender and repentance. God, I want to turn away from the life I've been living. I want to live the life I was made for. And he says, whoever cries out to me that way will be saved, will be rescued. And so whatever the need is today, after we've prayed, we'll ask you to stand with us to sing. And then if I can help you and pray with you, I'll be happy to. Father, thank you for the scripture and how it outlines for us that even though at times uh, life will uh, not reflect some perfect thing we had in our mind, you're still able to bless and use our lives in those times. And we pray, Father, that we'll recognize who you are and whose you are. We belong to you. You've loved us so much and that you will never leave us or forsake us. And I pray that you will take our life and use it to shine your light. Even if it feels like darkness where we are, God, that we'll shine the light and the light will be that much brighter. Because of the darkness around us, God. But use our lives, we pray, as we surrender them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand with me.